Shabbos, everyone. Shabbos. We are in your Eitzchayim Chumash. Please turn. Page We're finishing the first of the five books of Moshe, the teachings of Moshe Rabbeinu, this morning. And in the, um, and this Parshat Vayichi, Vayichai Sarah, is actually not the, the Parsha of the life of Jacob, although it might seem that that actually is what he has, finally. He finally has all of his children together. He blesses his grandchildren before we read what we're going to read. We're going to be reading from 49, but in chapter 48, he blesses his grandchildren. And in a, in, in a monumental moment, which could be lost on the reader, he actually gives them the same bracha. It's the first blessing given by a patriarch that is the same blessing to two children. And even though he lets us know that one would be greater than the other, they're given the same blessing. It's a very important moment. In a way, he's correcting what he did wrong with Joseph by giving Joseph the coat. He gives his two sons the same blessing. So much can be said about that, but Jacob dies in this, in this parsha, says Joseph. And Jacob lived for 17 years. He was finally reunited with his long-lost son. Those 17 years are meant to trigger us to remembering the 17 years that he had with him before he was taken. It's as if he was, uh, his life was given back to him, a life that had been taken. And now, this morning, the reading that we'll be reading is Jacob's, what Jacob gets a chance to do is Jacob actually gets a chance to give all of his children blessings, each one according to who they are, or as he sees them. And so the text says, verse 1 in chapter 49, page 298, Vaikra Yaakov Elbanav. And Jacob called his sons and said, Vayomer Asfu. I just want to highlight that word, Asfu. What is an asifa? Asfu means to, to gather together. It can't be lost on the, on the, on the reader and someone who reads the text and smells the text that that word is connected to another word. Yosef. It's so powerful as an oral hominem. It's, it's a moment of saying, Joseph around me, meaning I want to give each of you the coat that I should have given you. You each should have had a coat. You each should have had your own special coat. Hey, Asfu, come together. Come together right now. Because because I'm leaving on the next train, and I won't be back again. But you need to get, but I need to give you an asifa. I need to say, and the irony here, of course, is Vayesfu was used earlier in the text when the brothers gathered up against Joseph. And here Jacob says, hey, asfu, 
come together because I'm going to bless you. Of course, he doesn't bless them exactly in an equal way. He gives more weight to Judah and Joseph, but he's going to see them. He'll, re he'll rebuke them, but he'll see them. I Come together and I will tell you, I will make known to you, that which will take place in the end of days. Assemble, make a kvutza, and listen, children of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. Every word here is so beautiful. Every word. Your father, your son. As if to say to them, now I'm going to be all of your father, all of your covenantal father, Yisrael. And also, there is also a strong sense here of the, of the oracular nature. This, is, this feels as if he's going into a trance, as if something is speaking through him, right? And in fact, the Midrash plays up on this, because if you could see the inside of the Torah, you would see that something anomalous takes place in this reading. Every chapter break, we don't really have chapters in the Torah, we have parshiot, Right, chapter 49 is a later editorial uh, uh, innovation. There's no 49th moment here. There is a space between paragraphs, a paragraph break that signals to us that we're into a new chapter, as it were. And the beginning of this chapter in the Torah, even though it says 49 here and there's a nice big space, in the Torah there's no, there's no space. There's going to be a closed space. And that leads the Midrash to ask, why is this parsha different from all other parshiot? Why in the moment where Jacob is about to tell his sons about their future is the parsha stuma? Satum means to be closed, it's sealed. Right? Orthographically, in the Torah itself, there isn't that normal space that would exist. And they read that Midrashically, playfully, to say that even though Jacob now wants to tell his sons, listen, this is what's going to happen in the future, the Shekhinah departed from him. He didn't have the download. There was an interruption in the speed of the download. He couldn't, he couldn't get a signal anymore. And so he's not going to be able to give them that future. He doesn't actually tell them. <clears throat> could be. Well, let's, let's play a little midrash here. What could it be? What could be happening here? Is the Torah saying that Jacob doesn't know the future? Is the Torah telling us? What's the Torah telling us? That parents don't know the future of their children? One of the great ironies, I think, as becoming a parent, and one of the painful ironies, but it's real, so what are you going to do, is that I think so frequently about how little of the years that are so memorable for me will be memorable for them. So, it's, it, I mean, it hits you like a brick, right? Because I don't remember my 20s, you know. <laughs> 30s, eh. But I've been remembering the last 10 years, you know, I remember so, it's so many details, and we just want to remember everything. And, and I keep looking to my wife and saying, did you see that? And she said, oh, did you see that? And we know that none of it will show up. None of it. So who knows? Maybe, maybe children and parents, what do you think? What do you think is going on here? Jacob loses his capacity to see the future at this moment. Something is satum in Jacob. Aviva Zornberg reads this as the poetic blank that um, all creative individuals go through a period where, where the muse or that which is created within them is lost. They can't find it. Right? 
So she, he can't find it for whatever reason. What might be the reason that Jacob now, when he wants to reveal the end of days to his children, is the parshas tuma, that it is close? What do you think? Yeah, Jay. So Jacob, so, so finish the thought. So finish. So, so the Asifa is he's bringing himself together. He's not just bringing all of his children together. His children towards him, which in a spiritual way is affecting him very profoundly. And he feels he's transforming. Ah, okay. So Jake, I, 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 think, I think what you're saying is... He's transforming internally. There's nothing to say when you're transforming. Interesting. So in, in a sense, so here we're reading it positively. He's, I, I think you're reading here not that the departed muse, the creative genius is no longer there, or that is disconnect with God. You're saying that at this moment, nothing but silence is appropriate, because at this moment, he's in-gathering all of his own pieces, not just his 12 children, but all of the dispersed Jacobness in the world is being pulled together at this moment of death, and he's finishing all of his business, and silence is appropriate. Okay, so that's one beautiful Torah, said Rabbi Jay. I got it. Rabbi Jill. Love that. So Rabbi Jill uh, says to us, she quotes Khalil Gibran and the prophet who says, your children are not your children, right? Says, how beautiful in a book where, where almost every fractious moment, every conflict was about who's going to get the blessing? Who's going to get the blessing? Who's going to get the blessing? And here at this moment, how beautifully poetic it is that the father, the patriarch, the strong Jacob loses that. As if to say, your children are not your children, right? You don't know what their end will be. You can't know what their end will be. You can pray for them. You can hope for them. You can build for them. You can try to support them. But you can't give them a definitive blessing. Don't hem in your children. It's nice. Rabbi Jill, thank you so much. Rabbi David. So he can yeah, it's so beautiful. So let them live into their future. Let them live into their questions, Jacob. Who are you to give them the acharita yamim, the end of days? Ready? That's not what God wants. Let them live their own future. They have their own future. Okay? Also, what comes to mind is that saying about give your children boots and then give them wings. The time to give them what you really want to give them was when they were younger and you were t- they were learning and you were teaching them. They're grown now, so they need to be given wings. Mm-hmm. So don't, so don't, so, so part of giving them wings is not telling them where they're going to be flying either. So give them wings by not determining, predetermining where what the territory they'll be covering is. Okay, so Jacob here is, is modeling good parenting for once. I mean, he modeled great parenting in the previous chapter when he, when he chose Ephraim over Menashe. And we talked about that last night because Ephraim whose name means the one who is fruitful in the place of suffering, that's the one that you need to raise up to a people who are about to suffer, right? Not Menashe, who has helped me forget my father's house. You don't need to forget your father's house when you're suffering. 
In fact, it's ironic. I mean, I'm not saying this is a big parenthesis, okay, so don't get lost on this, please. But the great irony, of course, in Joseph naming his child Menashe, for, for God help me forget my father's house, is that he never forgot, Joseph never forgot his father's house. Right? He always, he, he, so much of Joseph's life was, was about his yearning to come back to his father, at least from the rabbi's perspective. Okay, we had another, uh, yes, uh, Juliette. He doesn't abdicate his patriarchy, right? He doesn't, and, and by the way, patriarchy is such a, a really a soiled word at this point. It, it just means paternal order. It doesn't, it's not, you know, there are dysfunctional patriarchies and maybe there are functional patriarchies. He's trying to be a good patriarch here. He's trying to give a blessing, give the authority. He has wisdom to share, so he's going to share his wisdom. It's great. Don't abdicate your, the wisdom that you have to share with your children. Right? Don't be caught between, I better not get involved because then, they'll have, then I'll clip their wings, and the other place, which is whatever, whatever you say goes, or whatever, right? They're still children. Here they're not, they're adults, but he has wisdom to share. Yeah, Rabbi. So, <clears throat> So it mirrors, in a way, the closing of the ark or the coffin that will be the end of the Parsha. <clears throat> in the Parsha, where there will be sealings, meaning S-E-A-L, sealings, seals, there's a sealing of the Parsha, meaning there's no way to go back. Right? This, this closed Parsha is a way of saying, you can't, this is maybe my own riff on what you're saying, but by closing the Parsha, it's as if to say, it's a new chapter is being born. In other words, even though he wants to fix what came afterwards, he wants to fix the future, and the future and the past have to be connected, but they can't go back. Right? Maybe they can't go back. It's satum. It's closed. It's not open. It's closed. I can take one last thing, and then we're going to call a kavana and invite people to come to Torah. Two more. Uh, two people that haven't spoken yet. Yes. It's a good question. He said, it, typically when Jacob gathered the children, did they expect to get a bracha? I don't know, I don't remember him gathering the children this way. But if he's, if he's near his death, and he's about to give him the bracha, they're anticipating getting some sort of guidance, at which point he says he gets nothing. He stops and says, it seems like if he gets that blank, typically creativity might come from turmoil. He's now complete. There's no turmoil. And the most important thing you can give them So this is the moment where they have to decide how they can be and they need to be able to individuate from Jacob. 
And so his poetic blank or his crisis of vision that he can't see, finish that sentence, is? That's, where, that's his sunset for them. That's his sunset for them? That's when he has to take their own steps. Ah. So in other words, the, 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 the absence for Jacob leaves room for the children to have their own light. In other words, if Jacob's had a full intensity of his own light, then at this moment, the, the children would have, would have been blinded by that. They would have been overwhelmed by that. They would have been unable to individuate from that. And so the wisdom there comes from his own silence. Right? Even though he will speak, there's a kind of a modeling of now you are picking up the mantle. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. And we'll get the last comment. The la I'm sorry, the last comment. Yes. I think uh, I'm basing this only on my own experience as a parent. But what resonates for me is, is that it's the moment of ultimate humility for a parent to recognize that each of their children is an unknown landscape. Mm. It's a soul um, which came through a door, us, that came into the world that has its own relationship with, with God and its own choices to make, mm. its own obstacles that show up in, in that mm. person's life that mm -hmm. they have to contend with. And there is no way you can really predict that for each person. Nobody can do that. Mm. And, in, and indeed, it's, it would be a mistake to do that. You would be robbing somebody. You would be robbing the soul. Right, it's so beautiful to say that, that there's a great moment of humility for parents, but also humility for all children. And all of us, thank God, here were once children. I remember when my son was three years old. Yeah. He was very quiet in his bedroom for a little while. It was going on and on and on, right? So I went in to see what was going on. And he was just sitting on his bed with his back against the wall, thinking. <laughs> he was thinking, my three-year-old. And I said, hi, Seth, what you doing? And he said, mommy, dreams go this high, but thoughts go that high. I figured, who is this? <laughs> he knows more than I do at my age. That's you know, great. It's, it's magic. Wow. And is Seth still a, a dreamer and a thinker? Pardon? Is Seth still a dreamer and a thinker? He kind of, at this point in his life, has shut that off for a long time, and it seems to be coming back again. Uh-huh. So beautiful. What a beautiful way to, to, to I'm going to pull us in for a kavanah, everybody, for the... The custom here at Roma was to call people for the first aliyah, not by anything other than whether or not what has been spoken in the Beit Midrash and the study center is resonating for you. And I want to add my own little piece here, which is, it's so beautiful. I'm just gonna, I'm, I think I'm always going to remember that, what Seth said about dreams being this high and thoughts being higher. I'm not sure. If, I don't know if I, I don't know, but I, I just, it's just <laughs> something to think about. Um, there's something very powerful in the Torah here about um, about trusting, well, two things. One is the trusting that Jacob has to have that, that in the emptiness, he still will find a way to speak to his children. What's remarkable is that even within the Midrashic tradition where God is no longer pr fully present here, there's still incredible things that come out of Jacob's mouth. Where did that come from? It's as if Jacob had a battery, and even though he wasn't charged in, it's still the battery was going. There's still something for Jacob to have access to, even when there was emptiness. He had a reservoir of fullness that he could pull from. And it really, um, it, it, it's, a, it's a really, a, it's about faith and about trusting that when things are empty, they will be full again. And that the cycle of emptiness and fullness works this way. That even when we are disconnected, there will be connection again. Not to be too dismayed, one. Two, 
especially reading it at the beginning of the year, there's something here that everyone has spoken to about not um, judging the end from the beginning. Le allowing what needs to unfold to unfold and not assuming that we know what will be. And I know all of us get caught in that. I get caught in that. I already have, you know, where next year will be. And we are always um, invited to both make plans and then to drop them. We are always, you know, to have a vision but then to be soft with it. To have a desire but then to be holding it, you know, loosely. So I wanted to call forward, especially as we begin this uh, secular new year, all of the kavanot here, you could come up for any reason. Let me give you at least a potpourri of things that could bring you up. You could bring up, if you are a parent who's work, working with letting our children have their own, uh, their own three minutes of space in their room, thinking and doing what they want, and you are a parent and you're saying, I'm letting go. If you, can be, if you are a boss and you've been trying to tell your workers how it should be, and you need to soften a little bit about that. If you're a creative type who's having a moment of poetic blank and you don't know where you're going to draw it from, but you say, I have faith, even though something is closed now, it will open again. Or if you know, you're simply um, beginning the year with big dreams for the year and you want to remember that, that even Jacob doesn't know what the end of the year will look like, that's a good thing to remember as we start. If any of those things speak to you, please come forward for the first Aliyah this morning. <laughs> 